So F1 went to Bahrain, and for a few short minutes, F1's world stood still. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Hey guys, Dre Harrison here. Welcome to episode 282 of Motorsport 101. With a difference, we are live streaming this on YouTube as we speak. Hello YouTube, hello internet. I hope you guys are doing great on this one. We thought that on this occasion, uh, this was such a manic, uh, shall we say, seven days or really more like five days to be honest, um, in motorsport that uh, we thought it would be appropriate to... Basically, go live and uh, have an extra long edition of the show, which you guys can watch and interact with as well. It's a great idea. King gets full credit. Lucky git. Um, but uh, it was his <laughs> idea, so so thank, thank him on Twitter or something. Um, of course, you all know why uh, what will be dominating the first half of the show. Talking about the uh, unfortunately horrific incident regarding Romain Grosjean that thankfully he is okay from. Um, oh, and Lewis Hamilton won. You know that 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 apparently happened as well. Um, there was a race, just just happened to be in there. Um, we were all a little bit too numb and a bit too raw <laughs> to really soak it in, but it did. It, I can confirm it did officially happen. Um, we'll also be talking about all the crazy news that has dropped in since then. Uh, our world champion has the Rona. There's been a bit of a reshuffle on the grid to fill his spots. Um, we have uh, two factories leaving Formula E and a whole heap more, including, uh, as I like to nickname on this show, a Jacobellis moment at the end of Super GT season finale as well. So oh, there God. is a lot. There is a lot to get through in the next probably around an hour and a half. So if you're in the UK, given it's half nine right now watching us live, uh, you're in for the long haul, but thanks for sticking with us. Much appreciated. With me, as always, on the show, we have RJ O'Connell. Hello, sir. Good evening, Dre. Um, Yeah, what a wild, wild week of racing, to say the least. I've got, I've got a little else to say to that. Where do you start? Where do you even I, start with this? I, 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 I don't even know where you start on this. It's like, it's like Haas announcing their full driver lineup for next year and closing the door effectively on silly season was barely in the top five for crazy stories this week, which just kind of says it all, really. Uh, with me as well, Ryan Eric King. Hello, sir. Hey, and I should let you know that. Uh... Silly season isn't over. We we still got uh four keys well, three key seats to know who's gonna be in next year. Ooh, good point. Um <laughs> who will be in the Mercedes next year. Um oh my God. <laughs> God's sake. As if there's been no fuel added to that fire in the last forty eight hours. Um <laughs> and of course with me is Cam Buckley. Hello, sir. Hello, everyone. Um, has to be said, when I woke up on uh, I woke up on that fateful day, and the first thing on my phone was that Lewis Hamilton had the vid. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what to think. We're co- we're calling it the vid now. We're not even shorting it to the Rona. We're just calling it the vid now. I These thought the Rona was the cool name. 
Yeah, I was like, I thought the Rona was the cool name. I thought I had that one down. He's, he's caught the Rona, but no, no, he's over the vid. The vid. Uh, I'm not, not, not sure how I feel about that one, personally, but uh, we'll, we'll all roll with it. And uh, yeah, I remember literally waking up in the morning, seeing that news, and just tweeting, Oh, Jesus! Um, everything is on fire. It's like that scene in Community. Um, so, uh, yeah. All of that in the next hour and a half or so. We got a lot to get through, so I'll get the general housekeeping out of the way. Um, places you can find us, uh, ironically, on YouTube. I mean, pff, yeah, duh. Uh, YouTube.com forward slash motorsport. Hi, you're if you already here. here. Welcome. Yeah, hi. Subscribe. Why not? We need more subscribers Welcome. here. And if you. And you can hit the bell when we go live with moments like this. That's always fun. Um, <laughs> uh, we're on Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Uh, we're on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. Uh, and our handles are at Harrison101HD for me, at RJ O'Connell for RJ, at Ryan Eric King, duh, and Buckley 917 uh, for Cam. Not um, the complaints inbox. <laughs> Definitely not. Honestly, we, we at no point in the pre-show that that's going to be in the edited version and is to be ever mentioned that Cam was the complaints line. We, we, we're we're not mean like that. We would never do that to our own Bostonian. Um, anyway, uh, we, if we really really like us, you could back us financially on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash motorsport one hundred and one. Five dollars gets you early access to all the audio versions of this show. Um, you can upgrade to the gold tier for ten dollars for the uh, video versions of all these shows, that, and you can access the supporters club of our Discord server where you can listen to all of our episodes live as they're being recorded in that set. This is a one-off because we thought we'd treat you every once in a while. Consider it our Christmas present. Um, all bunch of our perks and rewards on there as well. All the details are on, on there. And of course, on our website as well, at motorsport101.com. If you're a big fan of the two-wheeled variety, there is a 6,000-word season review on the MotoGP. It's written by yours truly on there. You can check out if you're in the blog section, if you're into that sort of thing. Um, so, without further ado, we'll get into the Bahrain Grand Prix of 2020. Lucky Warning, listener. <laughs> Warning, oh boy, was he lucky. Sensitive subject matter, listener and viewer discretion is advised. Look after yourselves. It was almost like everything that had come before it didn't matter. Hamilton's 98th career pole position, or 1-2 Mercedes lockout, for Stappen again the best of the rest in third. It didn't matter. Just 20 seconds into a hectic start, Botas lost four places, Leclerc squeezed his teammate out, and then we all saw a fireball on the inside of turn three, and F1's world froze for a moment. Romain Grosjean took an aggressive swipe to the right of the track after turn three. He brushed the front of Daniel Kvyat's car, lost control, and hit the Harmco barrier at 137 miles per hour, registering an impact of 53 Gs. The impact caused a major fuel strip spill, triggering the fire and splitting the Haas car in two. The medical car, piloted by Andy Vandermeule, carrying Dylan Roberts, was immediately on the scene as the race was red flagged. As were first response firefighters Joby Matthew and Tyre Ali Taylor. Miraculously, Romain escaped the fireball relatively unharmed, escaping with only minor burns to his hands. The halo, the much criticized safety feature for his aesthetics, embedded in what was left of the barrier, almost certainly saved Romain Grosjean's life and gave him the opening to escape the cockpit, an inferno where he may have only been 30 seconds away from death. Romain was airlifted to hospital for further checks, but thankfully was okay and was released from the hospital on Tuesday, and I'm glad to report that he is at the paddock today. 
course, he will not be racing this weekend at the Secure Grand Prix. This weekend, he'll be replaced by second-generation Brazilian driver Pietro Fittipaldi. After the incident, there was an 80-minute delay to add a new concrete barrier to replace the one the destroyed one in an incident. We were lucky. We were able to race again, despite a visibly shaken paddock and an audience that was also visibly shaken. Maybe for the first time since the tagline was introduced, we really did race as one. Everything else seems inconsequential by its comparison. The first lap of the restart, Lance Stroll was flipped upside down after Kvyat didn't commit to a pass at the hairpin. Lewis Hamilton pretty much led start to finish. The only minor scare was a Verstappen undercut during a rare two-stop race that led to nothing after Red Bull had an uncharacteristic pit stop error. Valtteri Bottas was hit with a puncture and had to climb his bay back up to eighth. Sergio Perez was on for back-to-back -back podiums for Racing Point, but a catastrophic MGUK blowout four laps for the end had the race finish under yellow and promoted Alexander Albon to his second podium of the year. But after that same Perez blowout featured a marshal running across a live track, we suspect this will be a Grand Prix that we'll be wanting to forget for many, many reasons. Trey, let's let's talk about the Grosjean wreck. Yeah, they're watching um, it. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was in the middle of a cold, lonely, dark bookies um, um, under maintenance. Um, it's it's it, it was not nice watching that like normally i would be at home watching probably with you guys in a, an enormous chat on discord and i was on my own on that one and uh that was terrifying to watch utterly utterly terrifying i've I've been watching this sport personally 20 years i've i've never seen one quite like that like not where the, the visual impact of a fireball on the back of the track with the, 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 when you watch it live and you see it you see someone in the wall and just boof just a whoosh of fire, you just go, oh my god, and I immediately started thinking, we've not, we've, this isn't gonna, this isn't gonna happen again, is it? When we, I, I hope I've not witnessed another one, and I don't know how many of you guys here are two-wheeled fans who are listening in or watching right now, I assume some of you are if you're listening to us, but I've already had one big near-miss this year, and that was the Frankie Morbidelli johann Zarco incident in Austria, where I thought, Jesus Christ, that was a really, really bad one. And if anyone knows MotoGP, you saw the pictures and how Maverick Vinales and Valentino Rossi were maybe inches away from something potentially far worse. The visibly shaken Valentino in the paddock after that incident happened. The first time I think I'd ever seen him really look his 41 years. And that one, I, I was numb. I just froze for a good... 20 30 minutes while just soaking it all in just thinking to myself thank god he was in the medical car only a couple of minutes after um the incident had actually happened in real time you see, next thing you know you see him in the medical car talking to the medicals like oh yeah he's fine guys don't worry i'm like wait what yeah, <laughs> yeah like, that, uh, was, that, that was the thing that the for as horrifying as the crash was visually exactly. thankfully um roman was relatively unharmed yeah, There's a very injuries. powerful photo going around yes. from uh, Mr. Andy Hone, uh, who, is, who works with Haas F1 team. You've seen it coming around, and it's of the medical delegate trying to pull what appears to be a figure that is very barely visible, stepping out of the fire. That's Romain Grosjean. Yeah, and he said it himself. He could see death as yeah. that flame was coming towards him. I mean, I, I 
had just woken up when I when the accident happened, so I just had to register everything. And when I saw the replay, I'm just like, oh my goodness, Rograin Grosjean is a very lucky man. But I, I, you I, see more evidence I, of like his the cockpit of his car being embedded into the armco. Yeah, mm, but not the, the replays, that's... Mm. By the, when we saw the replays, we knew Roman was okay. That was when mm. everyone sort of calmed down. The worst part was when everyone took the appropriate response, when everyone did what they were supposed to do. The fact that the... Absolutely. The, the fact that the race was red flagged immediately, and immediately. there was no replay shown. That, that to me, looking at what was being posted on social media, that's what really panicked most people oh yeah that's yeah. that's always the telltale sign of a real yeah yeah to, uh, it, to yeah. warrant that response yeah that's normally the telltale sign when you don't get a replay when you don't see what happened when when jules bianchi had his tragic accident they didn't show a replay at the time it yeah. was just there is red tv flag, footage race that we will never see yeah and we don't want to um, see it last year the course. last time this this where where they took that response was, of course, last year when we lost Antoine. Antoine, Antoine, Antoine Huber, mm. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, oh, j- just the visual of the crash the, and the way the car came apart, it the broke fireball, half. everything. Yeah, it what, broke in half like in a Grand Prix 2 crack. For those of you who haven't seen the crash, Grosjean's car hit the Armco and just punctured through. Yeah, it, that it, initial impact was fifty three G, which pretty pretty high. Yeah, it pretty Extremely much his, his car went straight through the barrier, which again yeah. questions are being raised because that's normally not supposed to happen. Straight through the barrier, and it it pretty much goes down the track inside the barrier, strikes the support, and the support splits the car in half. Yeah, uh, broke the car at the engine mounts, and if you know the architecture of a Formula One car, you know between the engine and the survival cell is the fuel cell, and the entire left side of the fuel cell was just, looked like a shark had got at it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to be fair, there appeared the, to cockpit, be a pretty the cockpit large... did its job, and only a small amount of the fuel actually ignited, and thank goodness for that. <laughs> Yeah, well, the, the safety team was right on the car with fire extinguishers as soon as they got there. Yeah, and uh, firing, you know, using those fire extinguishers on Roman. Yeah. And uh, he, he after the fact, it looked like fly. there was a, a good five, six inch hole gouged in the left hand side of the fuel cell. I want to talk about the halo. Mm-hmm. Not enough can be said about it. Previous crashes. You know, it looks like the Halo did its job, but maybe it could have missed. No, with this one, the Halo was embedded in the Armco, and the Armco was bent up around it. If it wasn't there, that would have been Roman's head. Yeah. 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 Not to yeah. mention, because of because of the fire, where the Armco actually broke around the Halo, the top of the Halo was covered. He couldn't get out the top. And if he got out the right side, he was going to be in the fuel. He had to spill himself out the left side, and the halo bent the armco up around the car enough for him to have enough room to get out. Yeah, yeah. like, sort of making a reference to my 
favorite engineering disaster pro- podcast. Well, there's your problem. On one of their early episodes, <laughs> great show, by the way. <laughs> they talk about uh, in in terms of you know in one of their more serious moments, they talk about uh, you know all like all the aspects of safety protocol that make disasters survivable and how it's not just one moment on whether you survive or perish that there there are hurdles you have to jump to to be able to make it out of a situation like that and for roman the halo got him across multiple hurdles that first impact with the that first impact with the armco the halo makes sure the armco doesn't strike him in the head when he's when the car is stuck when the car is stuck in the armco the halo gives him room to escape but not only that it gives him a place to grab onto to pull himself out of the car and yeah again we're talking multiple hurdles where the halo was there and it saved his life yeah yes th- this one is absolutely beyond reproach it saved his life and we are very thankful it is there because roman yeah. wouldn't be here and we're thankful as well for the quick work of Dr. Ian Roberts. Dr. Ian Roberts, <laughs> who has been leading this leading this medical crew. And a lot of due credit as well to uh, a former racing driver and Alan Vandermuehle, who's been driving the medical car for the last, I want to say, what, 10 or 12 years? Yes. Yeah. And we've got a, it was a fortunate situation and a very unfortunate situation that on the first lap of an F1 race, the medical car follows the field oh yeah yeah yes um everyone all the safety measures in place from the car to surprising as it might seem the armco because that wall is supposed to have give and if it didn't that would have been a far more ferocious impact i don't go jack and the people involved in the medical car the safety measures in place did a phenomenal job of ensuring that roman got out of this with what amounts to minor burns on his hands. Yeah. Roman just as well, uh, new, new fire suits this year that give you double the yeah. length of time and protection. Yeah. 20 seconds instead of 10. Yeah. And, uh, and that 10 yeah, seconds uh, is all the difference in the world. Yeah. And uh, yeah, if, if anybody hasn't seen it already, you may have seen um, Grosjean's done many an interview, obviously, since this incident. It's, it's obviously gone viral across world news and um it still makes me a little bit sad that sometimes the only time f1 gets mainstream attention is during these sorts of awful incidents normally the very worst sort mm. of incident we talk about in motorsport but uh um he mentioned that he wanted to get everybody who had a part in saving his life together and we may have seen you probably if you follow Hass on twitter you've probably seen an incredible photo i think it's something like 50 or 60 people of a combined effort um, to add a part in it, and um, the one that a line that got me dusty-eyed watching was when he turns to the entire team and he just says, "Thank you all for saving my life." And yeah, yeah uh, it's you can't oh, it was it, it's it, it it really is as simple as raw and as powerful as that. And um, yeah, F one generally speaking here did a phenomenal job. It cannot be understated the just how many people, just how many. Hard, just just how much hard work um, that many many people over the last decades have come together to to yeah. to make the sport what it is today to enable yeah. twenty people in twenty cars with over a mm-hmm. thousand horsepower that can go two hundred and twenty miles an hour to be able to race as feasibly safely as we can and of course it will yeah. never be perfect but 
Um, we are very, just as very ferocious as the development it. war on the track is the development war off to make sure that everyone comes home at the end of the day. And that's what matters more than anything else we do when we mm. watch this sport. We are very lucky that we, that we can have that. I also wanted to talk about Roman himself because mm. we we tend to know Formula One drivers by their on-track accomplishments and in these last few years have not been the kindest to Roman Grosjean, I'm afraid. Um, not, he's on no, his way out of Haas. He's on his way out of Formula One. He'll likely go out of Formula One having never won a race, which is unfortunate because he is a guy who is talented enough to be able to be a, a multiple Grand Prix winner. It's uh, a shame where his his prime, you know, he came in, he came back into the sport in 2012, of course, right. the short trial mm-hmm. run he had mm-hmm. in 09. Didn't mm-hmm. go so great. That car was pants. Mm-hmm. But, uh... You know, came in and for all of his antics that people love to meme to this day, when he got his act together, he was the only person in 2013 who was really giving Sebastian Vettel any anything to think about. And, and more to the point. Were it not for reliability and a strategic mistake, he should have a couple wins on the board. And it's a shame I, that his mm. prime is his prime was kind of undone by the collapse of Lotus and then moving on to Haas. But even though, even though there there is a certain accomplishment to being in Formula One for ten years, very few people have the opportunity to be in this championship for a decade. There, there, and and more and more to the point. You know, you saw it in the in his Instagram videos when when he posted, and he was very good, as good humored as you could be. Under the circumstances, he was still, he was still himself, and uh, I don't think anyone—I don't think anyone begrudges his off-track personality because he's a very uh, beloved driver. And and I think we're going to miss that a lot when Romain Grosjean does step away. Um, we're going to miss, you know, the the humility and, and the character that he has. I, I know, and I know people that have said, you know, that they have been mean and harsh to him in the past have said, you know, hey, this this whole incident has given them a new perspective on the kind of person that Roman Grosjean is. Of course, it's a shame that it took Roman yeah, Grosjean have to take death. It shouldn't have to take a crash this extraordinary for people to realize that. Not, I know. Not and uh, as mentioned, he will not be racing this weekend at the... Uh, what we have affectionately called in the Motorsport 101 server as the Barambas. The Sakir Grand Prix at the Barambas. <laughs> but he will. The Barambas. But uh, I do hope uh, the burns are relatively minor. He's taking off more bandages every day. Yeah. I hope that he can come back for one last ride at Abu Dhabi because I really don't want his last image, the last image of him in a Formula One car leaping out of a conflagration behind an Armco barrier. Right. That's not nice. No, it's just it's just not a no. nice sight, really, is it? I'd, I'd rather have the Jensen Button approach where he shows up drunk um, on Channel 4 after after his car dies early. I'd, that, that'd be way funnier, um, personally. But, uh, no, I, I, I can't I can't echo Cam's sentiments anymore. He's, he was a, he's a very talented racing driver who should probably have had a couple of wins to his name. Um, and a guy that survived a lot of flack and a lot of shit. Um, I remember I was here in 2012 and he was universally 
the one of the figures fun, of ridicule uh, alongside Pascal. Fun, you know, uh, fun fact. My first, my first uh, Harrison one hundred and one HD video was <laughs> Dre's video about his one race suspension after the spa incident. Yeah, that 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 video went viral. They had over a hundred thousand views on it. I do remember talking about that. That was God, two thousand twelve. My God, um, yeah. And this is normally that sort of incident on the internet will typecast you forever. Like we we still joke about Pastor Maldonado to this day. We still talk about Baku to a degree and how it was Ericsson's fault. Normally, when the discourse on the internet paints you in a role, it's very very hard to escape that. And then Grosjean in the last year has basically become everyone's likable favorite uncle in the F1 paddock. Um, incredibly wholesome, incredibly charming. Even today, I saw him comments on a news about a certain Haas driver, which we'll talk about give you a hint second generation um <laughs> but uh into saying look there's some amazing people in this house team and you know if you look after them they'll give their lives for you and that's just the sort of guy that romain grosjean is and, and uh, yeah ju- just as well i mean obviously he's going to be leaving formula one whether it was, this was his last race or abu dhabi's his last race we don't know yet but whether he decides to hang it up after this or he decides to move on to another form of motorsport. There's a lot of rumors mm. about it, some endurance racing programs. Um, I think any series that gets him will be better for it. I agree. Absolutely. I agree. And we'll, and we'll be glad to see Romain Grosjean, if he does decide to continue, mm. we will be glad if he has an opportunity to have success again. Because um, despite what the recent track record of form will tell you, and, it, and Grosjean talked about it, he says it hurts to see how far Haas have fallen in the last mm. few years since he's joined the team. It'll be great to see him back where he can compete for victories and have success. I prefer mm. to remember him in a dying Lotus team dueling with a pair of Red Bulls. Yeah, that was way more fun. Um, I want to get a couple of interesting top talking points. Again, this is one that's came out today as well. Um, the sensitivity regarding the replays. Now, as mentioned in, in the script we had earlier, there was an 80-minute delay between Grosjean's initial incident and the time we restarted. Um, hard to avoid if you were watching on the world. I know some guys on the Discord here, for example, were watching the F1 TV version, Pit Lane, with the great Alex Jakes, who I haven't said it publicly yet, but congrats to him on getting the Channel 4 gig for next season. That's a hell of a that's a hell of a pull for Channel 4 and free to s coverage in the country. That's friggin' for you, so congrats to him. Um, but if you watch the world feed, there was a lot of replays of the incident. Um, I think one of the most outspoken people against that was Daniel Ricciardo, who... Oh, absolutely. He was fuming he was outraged ricardo ricardo who as we all know is one of the most laid back um and easygoing characters in formula one was visibly shaken and angry which i've ever seen from ricardo (laughs) you said it it takes a lot for daniel ricardo to bare his teeth like that yeah he's, he's just not that sort of guy and he's We've seen him now in the sport for better part of a decade himself. And yeah, he was visibly angry at the sport itself for broadcasting the incident as much as it did. Um, apparently, uh, Romain's partner, Marion, has also um, followed through and saying that he agreed w- with them and saying, I think the, the line that Daniel said that stuck out to him most was, it, it's, it's, it's fucking us up. 
or along those sorts of words, yeah. the amount of times that was being replayed. I think Sebastian Vettel also said that, you know, he, he he talked about how, listen, a lot of people like this sort of thing. And he's kind of right, unfortunately. You, you have yeah. heard many a discourse. Vettel, from, was, uh, you know, Vettel, of course, is one of the heads of the uh, GPDA. Said the other. Actively going out of his way. Yeah, Roman's the head of the GPDA. The head of the GPDA well, of them, yeah. was the one of the one was the one who crashed, mm. and uh, Vettel was actively going out of his way to avoid replays. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, in somewhat deference to you know the World Feed producers, this incident happened, you know, turn three of the race yeah. during yeah. an eighty-minute red flag. <laughs> During an not eight- much else to talk about, really. Yeah, unfortunately. during an eighty-minute red flag, like there's nothing else to talk about. How how else do you fill the time? Do you want to interview the drivers? Uh, what what are you going <laughs> to ask them about? What are they going to yeah, What are they going like, to say? It, it's it's sort of a lose lose situation. It's like it's mm-hmm, either mm-hmm. we talk about the incident, show replays, or we don't show replays and try to interview people in pit lane. And Either I'm, way, we will have to talk about the incident at some point. It's, yeah, and right. it's not going to be comfortable. Thank goodness, at least they waited until they confirmed that he was okay to show it. Yeah, that's that's the bare minimum requirement, as far as I'm concerned. Um, this is what I, I said this on Twitter, like the night of the incident itself, and I, I read Daniel's piece. And look, I'm not saying this to dismiss what Ricardo has said. He's absolutely. Like he's got every right to, to to grit his teeth on this, and I I said on Twitter at the time I don't think there's a right answer to this one. I, and I said I understand where the broadcasters are coming from. It was I actually at the time underestimated that I thought it was about forty five. Turns out it was eighty minutes. And it's, it's you can get an entire Italian Grand Prix in in eighty minutes. Um, you know, yeah. so we've already seen nearly an entire Grand Prix of time elapse between the initial incident and the time we got going again. I completely understand that, especially if you're talking about it purely from a broadcaster standpoint, I understand how you might want to inform new viewers who are expecting a Grand Prix to be happening right now. If you would normally tune into that time slot, wondering why is everybody in the pit lane? Why is everybody in the paddock? Why is there a red flag? Why has this been such a massive delay? And as a broadcaster, you've also got a duty to inform your audience. And thankfully, by the time we, we got to that point, we knew Grosjean was okay. So I understand the broadcaster's angle of keeping their viewers informed. And, you know, you if you're not going to interview the drivers, which is, again, understandable given what's just happened, um, given it's a sensitive matter, and, and as we all saw with other pictures, there was a lot of shaken up people in that pit lane. Ted Kravitz said it himself on the World Feed. It was like, look, he said, I've been doing this like 20 plus years. I've never seen a paddock so visibly shaken. Was the quirk, yeah. was, the, was the words that the Kravitz said, and you, you all know he's been here for donkey's years. Um, if you're not going to do that, you, you haven't really got much else of a choice. Like, you can't expect commentators to to fill time for 80 minutes with and not talk about the reason why you're having an 80 minute delay. So, <laughs> in my opinion, I I I get it. I also I get both sides of it. I don't think there's a right answer. Yeah, the, the answer there's, the answer really is somewhere in the middle of that. Yeah. They they had to show it to keep to give people who may not have seen the initial incident context. Yeah. They also probably could have shown it a little less than they did. Yeah, but probably. I mean, admittedly, when there was something else to show, they did show it. Like, yeah, I'm pretty yes. sure we're gonna get to it. 
when the, the minute they started working on repairing the barriers, that's what they cut to, and that's the only thing they showed after that point. It's just that there was yeah. such a long just period of dead air where nothing was happening at the track, and it was there was nothing else to talk about because we only got through three corners of the race. And yeah, yeah. Um, we kind of need to they, talk about. Uh, they can only talk about maybe- how long. Like what the grid order was gonna be when we restarted the race was, and how different yeah, which it was that gonna be. that even caused some confusion because they had to rewind it back to the to the pit exit line to set the grid for the restart. Yeah, yeah. Um, so sorry, sorry to cut you there, Cam. I just want to get a couple of viewer yeah. comments in as well because I know Vic and Zoe's got some valid points as well. Um, Vic mentioning, yeah, I, I understand it, but he also says that he, he did think that Sky in their red flag period to put replay footage from multiple angles on their YouTube channel was in bad taste. Yeah, probably was. I agree. Um, and uh, Zoe also says, I think the drivers are sitting in the pit lane wait and every screen was showing replays was what annoyed Daniel. Again, but that's not really on the speak- broadcasters, though. The teams control what's track. shown in their garage. Right, yeah. you know, so, again, like, there's... If, if that's the case, then they might have to talk to his own team about that one, um, personally. But, yeah, I I, 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 I think this was a point that was worth making, because I know Daniel has, has had a lot to say on that. Apparently, he's had a sit-down with the FIA today regarding this, and I'm glad that the FIA at least has entertained the conversation and had had some dialogue about it. That that, that always helps. So uh, I hope, um, I don't know if they'll publish anything about it or they'll talk about it publicly, who knows? We'll have to wait and see. You know, that's the nature of live shows and live recordings. You never quite know what'll come up. Um, but uh, again, if there's some further discourse or some context, I'd love to hear it, because that's, uh, it, it's look, I don't envy any broadcaster in that scenario. That's the worst case scenario to be a broadcaster as someone that's been on that side of the camera before i know how rough that can be to say the least and they've known to make some hard decisions um so i'm glad that at least there's been some dialogue between both major parties on that front um but yeah that's pretty much all most of what we get through for the grosjean section again um we'll be a little bit more light-hearted now i promise you know us. I, I was actually uh, i wanted to talk about the barrier repair itself because uh, yeah yeah no, that's we all had some quick. questions about this because grosjean hit the he hit the armco so hard that it destroyed the mm-hmm. underground structure of the Armco. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It has posts dug dug down into the ground. It pulled some of those posts up. It's a weird yeah. place to hit, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah it, very I, weird. The biggest problem, really, is that the wall is at a very bad angle. For a, it, it almost encourages a head-on collision if someone goes off there. But you yeah. wouldn't expect someone to go off there because it was well after the corner. Right. It's uh, it's a crash that you wouldn't expect to happen, but after that, the FIA replaced the Armco barrier with solid concrete blocks. Yeah, and that brought up a lot of question marks, because before they brought the blocks in, they completely pulled up the second layer of Armco that's required to be in front of the first layer. So it seemed like they were going to mm. use the second layer to patch up the first, and then they just decided not to. Yeah. Uh, it was because it's the just... structure in the ground of the first layer was damaged. They started cut Because Armco... A, a typical Armco repair, there's only one real way to do it, which is cut the old section out, weld a new section in. We've but seen no, it plenty of no. times at Le Mans. It, it seemed like they were going to replace the structure because they completely 
dug up the second layer, supports they, and they all. They dug everything out. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't know if they would have been able to get it to set quick enough to go back racing in the in the ground. Yeah, that'd be, that'd for, be for, a for question comes, for yeah. someone. That'd be a question for someone more involved with that specific kind of barrier repair. Yeah, but, for context, um, once a Grand Prix starts, there is a hard four-hour time limit that the race has to be finished, and including red flag periods. It's two hours of green flag racing or green or yellow flag racing, but it's also a four-hour hard limit where this race had to end basically by six ten British time. We call it the Otherwise, Montreal 2011 it. rule. Yes, yeah, uh, and, and we've seen as well like uh, incidents like uh, Mike Rockefeller's crash at Le Mans 2011. If it caused enough damage to the Armco, it can take hours to replace. Right. Right. So, yeah. yeah this wasn't... Was the context behind it. It wasn't a good look. No, it wasn't. I, I, it wasn't a good I look, look, but nothing... I don't think anything that they would have done would have been a good look. Yeah. No, other than canceling the race due right. to ba- barrier repairs. And, 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 and we all know how this... I know in other sports, like, that's the last resort. That's if the there is no way we can resume this race safely option. We, like, no one ever wants to cancel a Grand Prix if they can help it. So, mm. yeah, it, I, I, I said on Twitter at the time when I saw the concrete ball, I was like, if that's the extent of the repair, I'd rather we not race tonight. However, I'm not the one that making the key decisions at the FIA, so, um, they raced yeah. anyway. You can argue Thankfully, that Armco had yeah. too much give, but concrete having no give, we've, seen the results of that plenty of times. Yeah, they were willing to bet that nobody else was going to test that part of the track where typically nobody hits the barrier. Well, they were Which lucky is... that, that that bet paid yeah. off. I mean, yeah. uh, the weirdest lucky. thing that we had happen was eight quarters into the race, once we restarted it, Lance Stroll comes up and flips upside down because Kipiat like, oh, can't Jesus. commit to the move and Stroll kind of shuts the door on him. Sits one, sits one half dozen of the other... And we have two bad wrecks to, before we even complete a green flag lap of racing. Before we complete a green flag sector. Yeah, they yeah. they met at the apex and it it was never going to end well. No, no uh, Kvyat, 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 I think was, was testing a, his luck there. Yeah, he 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 was he half kind of went for it. He was thinking about it as the braking zone was going by. What do you expect Stroll to do in that scenario? He's going to take the corner he's entitled to at some point. He does. Yeah. Kvyat doesn't back out of it. And yeah, next thing you know, Stroll's upside down. And I'm just sitting there going, for God's sake, we just got going again. Now a car's upside down. Um, Like, yeah, so... Oh, just like, for God's sake, make this end already. <laughs> and then, yeah, they, they took a, a few laps under a safety car to move Stroll's stricken car out of the way. Luckily, he was fine. Giviat had a 10-second time penalty for his involvement in the incident. Um, Giviat had a hell of a day. joked about a little... Yeah, he did. Yeah, Jesus I, Christ. In the walls, to say the all. least. And, yeah, I, I, I don't think it would be fair to pin... The blame of the Grosjean incident. The first one, absolutely. The first one, unfortunately, Absolute. was one hundred percent Grosjean's fault. Yeah, it's just a shame that it ended the way it did. Yeah, of course. Yes, um, please do not insinuate that Daniel Kvyat was in any way at fault for that first incident. Other broadcasters, Fe- um, feel free to uh, feel uh, free to insinuate that for the second incident. 
Yes. Um, basically, yeah. One, one giveth, giveth, the other taketh away. Um, and yeah, yeah. Um, as we've joked about, this was a rather inconsequential race afterwards, thankfully. Probably for the best that it was, to be fair. Yeah, um, that, was my, that was my feeling at the 2014 Russian Grand Prix. This race is boring as hell. Everybody got home safely. And that's fine. the most important thing. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. Lewis Hamilton had a great race. Red Bull bungled a pit stop. We thankfully had a, we avoided another tragedy when a marshal ran across the track when Sergio oh. Perez's car blew up. Yeah, yeah. Jesus, that Pe- was like Perez four drove around for a end. good two laps and, with. Um, hmm. He drove around for a good two laps with smoke, and his MGUK went kablooey. Yeah. Um, that brutal like piss. Shout out to a friend of mine on Twitter, one Andy Graham, who tweeted about ten minutes before it happened. "Quote: um, Sergio Perez has never had back-to-back podiums in Formula One." Five Blame laps later. <sighs> yeah, send, um, to send, be fair, twi- send messages to his DMs. Um, oh no, to be fair, no, to be fair, I've got to hold my hand up here. I, like somebody tweeted me saying Dre Hughes could end up on the podium, and I raised my hand and said it was like Sergio Perez has won the Valtteri Bottas lottery, and then ten minutes later his car blows up, and I had to tweet in response, I take full accountability for this one, <laughs> this one's on me. Um, so, uh, um, blame me for that one. I have to hold my hand up there and just say, whoops, that, that was kind of my bad. So check out yeah. if you're watching. Um, don't put that one in your montage for that press conference you did on Monday. Um, oh. More on that in a minute. But, um, yeah, uh, I've got Albert on the podium. Thankfully, again, everybody was all right. Dear Marshall, please don't run across a live track. Yeah, please. For, for, like, for those no. listening, yeah, uh, the Marshall running cross track that had that was not anyone at race control or the FIA's fault. The Marshall took that decision on his own, despite being told not to. Yeah. That's you don't just... have to be a hero on that one. Wait for the safety car, then uh, you can do that. I don't, Jesus. I don't, I truly don't mean to sound morbid, but it's something, somebody made the observation across the timeline that, look, in this one race, you had incidents that were reminiscent of Francois Severe, Roger Williamson, and Tom Price all in the same Grand Prix weekend. Yeah. Yeah. And thank goodness that with the safety measures in place, everyone was more or less okay at the end of the day. Yeah. Yes, the uh, the damage all mental than anything else. <laughs> I think anything physical, uh, thankfully. I don't know. That's a couple fingers. inches of bandages on Grosjean's hands. Yeah, besides a few, a few burnt fingers, thankfully. Um, yeah. Which made for some great boxing poses while he was at the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> Very much. He, so. he wants Roman Jake Paul. Paul. He wants Jake Paul. <laughs> oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> no, no, don't tell Nate <laughs> Robinson that. Um, Oh dear. Right. There's been even more to discuss in the aftermath of this grace. Um, and How it can started... it possibly get any wilder? Well, Tuesday morning. Um, Tuesday morning, about 5.30 a.m., Mercedes releases a statement saying that Lewis Hamilton has tested positive for COVID-19 and is out of the Sakir Grand Prix. 
Holy shit! Um, F1 Twitter explodes. Um, there were statements made. Immediate speculation of his replacement. More on that in a second. But yes, uh, story goes that Lewis Hamilton was feeling fine after the race. But on Monday night, he said he experienced mild symptoms. He ordered another test. Um, as a result of that, and uh, when the test came back, it came back positive, um, which means he's now required by Bahrain law to self-isolate for 10 days, which puts it pretty close to the final race of the year in Abu Dhabi as well. Depending I was going to say, on the uh, 10 yeah. days as a minimum. Yeah, uh, he has it's, to it's return a 10-day minimum. negative test in the future. That, yeah, that puts him on Thursday, uh, the day before the Abu Dhabi weekend officially starts. So, yeah, that could be touch and go depending on whether he still tests positive or not before he's allowed into a paddock. So that, who knows? We, we know this virus has a roughly two-week incubation period, so who knows? It could be touch and go whether Hamilton races at all again this season. Of course, because he has experienced mild symptoms, you do wish him the best, of course. Um, it's, Absolutely. It's, a bit sh- it's shit that, uh, you know... Arguably, the two biggest names in motorsport over the course of the year has both suffered COVID nineteen and genuinely apparently had it quite rough. Um, so that's always shit to hear. Um, so hopefully he'll be back in a racing car in Abu Dhabi. Maybe not, but at least he's seemingly okay, relatively okay. Wish him the best, of course, from all of us here. Um, so of course, after about three minutes of saying get well soon, Lewis, everyone says, "Well, who's going to be in that Mercedes for next week?" I say um, the most coveted racing seat on earth just opened up. Yeah. Yes, and uh, you know when when it first began, everyone's like, "Well, Mercedes has a reserve driver, so obviously that reserve driver is going to get to see." Nah, forget that. Time for wild speculation. Anything's possible. Yes. <laughs> I, I, Nico I got... Rosberg back. <laughs> Oh, I got buried on Twitter for pointing out they have an official reserve driver. His name is Stoffel Van Dorn. He would have been at Silverstone earlier this year because Mercedes shared its reserves amongst their their supplied-powered cars. The only reason he wasn't there in Silverstone instead of Hulkenberg was because he was in Berlin contesting the Formula E season finale. So I just said, well, yeah, it should be Stoffel Van Dorn. He's the official reserve driver. He has a super license. Duh, he's only been out the sport for it for two years. Um, they'll just fly Stoffel over after the Formula E testing. Well, he was Valencia already planned finishes. to uh, fly over yeah. after the end of that heat testing. Exactly. So he was already planning to fly over. Um, after the test ended, um, which was happening pretty much the same time this news had dropped, everyone was cracking jokes about, oh, we're going to smuggle Stofford in in Bahrain and get him in as the reserve driver. But of course, the, the, the Mercedes internet... FE team admin was playing into it. Oh yeah, totally. It was it, it was all fun and games, but Twitter was buying none of that shit. They were saying it's George Russell time, baby. <laughs> it's George Russell time, and I was sitting here thinking. Why in God's green earth would Williams cough up their star driver for a round that is probably on paper their best shot of scoring points? Which, by the way, they have not done this season, in case you've forgotten. Um, so I was well, sitting Dre, here thinking, why on... Here's the thing. The check cleared. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... Ah, the check... Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But before yeah, we yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. the possible outcome, well, what, well, the outcome, what happens, like... What is Williams' real prospect at points here? Like, for them to not finish last in the constructors, they don't have to. They they need to score more than not one point, not two points. They need to score more than three points to jump to jump to, to ninth. ninth place. 
No, yeah, to Madison. Just because, oh, right, just just because they took the infield section out of Bahrain, are we sure that this suits them? Hell, they could end up well, even worse off than they were in Bahrain. Uh, no, because Ferrari scored points via sheer dumb luck at a track which typically has suited them since the start of the turbo hybrid era. Every time the sky has fallen out for Williams to score points, they have not been able to get over the line. Call me jaded. Yeah. Call me jaded over the course of the season. It, if they if they had the opportunity to get George Russell a seat and then they keep him there and they don't score any points, they're going to look like they just screwed that kid over. That, But that's not a normal scenario. It's like, oh no, please no. cough up your driver for us. Like, no, like... Out of well, principle, based I'm going to be reluctant behavior, to do that. Williams wouldn't do that. Right, so... Like, so... It, it, I, I don't know. Based on past the behavior, di- the I mean, discourse a month was ag- pure fucking vitriol. A month ago, we, we were worried that, they, that the new ownership was going to just flip him for Sergio Perez right then and there. So I was going to say, if you're talking about making them look bad, they were about to flip Russell for Perez. That ship had already sailed as far as I'm concerned. So like, uh, like, so I thought they were going to keep him. And let's not forget, as RJ points out, Williams have had four 11th placed finishes this season. Three from Nicholas Latifi, of all people, and one from George himself. Not to mention the spin-out from the safety car in Imola when he was running 10th. Um, so yeah, it's been pretty rough for Williams this year. They've wow. had opportunities... Well, in fairness, Williams do have the best bargaining chip that race seat. They they are they're effectively holding George Russell's career hostage. Like we have your man. But, you, you, <laughs> but then you think Mercedes is holding Williams' slightest chance of being competitive by ha- supplying them the Mercedes engine. Right. That's so. the old. That was the only thing that's going to bring them points. Potentially yeah. this weekend. Exactly. So all that speculation was rampant and up in the air. Um, I got buried on Twitter by many people for dare I suggesting that their official reserve driver would take priority. <laughs> Bas- blasphemy. What a theory. Um, we even had Jason in the chat who's sentient by Shuckle. It's John Cena! <laughs> but no, the, the following morning we got woken up to the news that the check had cleared, as Cam pointed out. Um, the funds had been made available, and uh, George Russell is getting his seat fitted at Mercedes this morning because George Russell will be in the factory Mercedes team running the 63 this weekend. I love it. I love it. I would have loved if Saffel Van Dorn got that seat, to be honest. I say, I'm oh, conflicted because on one hand, of course you want to give Russell the opportunity. Yeah. If, he, if, if you're saying... If you're beating your chest every time someone brings up the question saying, no, he's not going to be like Pascal. He's not going to be like Esteban. We're going to put him in our seat one of these days. And you well, have the opportunity they to do did. it. You better do they, it. Yeah. yeah, they put their money where their mouth is. At the same time, Stoffel, what is my purpose? Mercedes, <laughs> you do sim work. You do sim work oh, and drive a Formula E car. Yeah, but and, I yeah. mean, you, you make tea. It begs the question why he's there as a reserve driver. Yeah. Though, for, for for Mercedes and Toto Wolf, this is to find out whether George Russell, is he the real deal? Is 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 he your Garrick for Pip? 
Is he your Brady for Bledsoe? Is he gonna come up in the clutch and be able to perform in a top seat like everyone on social media claims he's ready for? I heard right. the pain in King's voice when he said that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As a Jets fan, no, that must have um, stung no end. Um, <laughs> but, uh, the 0-11 New York Jets, may I add. Um, quitting <laughs> the New York Jets is one of the greatest moments of my career. No. <laughs> Don't do that to him. Look, no, and that's that's what I've all like what King alluded to is exactly what I've always said about George Russell is that look, the man's clearly talented. No one is disputing that. Right. Uh, he, he won he, he won a Formula <laughs> Two title against a stacked field that's got two dudes in it that get all the plaudits amongst the rookie class. Well, one of them does, the other one gets a gets a hard time because he drives for Red Bull. Point is is that he beat those dudes in a in a spec championship yeah. only two years ago, and Russell yeah. Was was very 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 good in Formula Two, and right. you don't win back to back GP three series and Formula Two titles in your rookie year on accident. No, that that's normally a sign that you're a very talented driver. Like and yeah, like we all know that his career at Williams has been hard to evaluate. He's in a car that's not capable of scoring points on a regular basis. And he's had two teammates that people have not taken seriously for a range of reasons. I, Robbie Kubica, who, you know, it was nice to see him back for a year, but was, wasn't on that level, um, for the, for the modern day F1 field. And then Nicholas Latifi, who immediately got the pay driver treatment from fans on Twitter because he was only a runner up and had been a veteran of the Formula 2 series, which again, people normally like to pin on someone being not so great. Um, because Latifi ticked all those skeptical boxes we have about Formula 2 drivers coming up into the sport in general. So it's hard to get a read on just how good George Russell actually is well this is a risk-free shot to find out just how good george russell is try before you buy so to i was speak. gonna say so, who gives a shit they already won both titles <laughs> yeah yeah it's a dead rub it's a dead rubber race you know like they've already won everything they can win besides second in the championship fuck it why not give him a shot as far as like so you know i totally get that that logic for george russell you know it, it's a risk-free shot chance to see how how well, how well he can perform in in a car that's actually worth a damn which is the only real question mark hanging over george George Russell's head is just representation um, in this case. You know, and I, yeah, I've, I've given it some thought. Have we ever had a case in Formula One where a driver clearly comes up at a rapid rate of progression and then the minute they hit Formula One just completely falls flat on their face? Has Formula One ever yes. had a Jamarcus Russell? Yes, yes, yes. And it's yes. the other guy who was in competition for that seat. Stoffel Van Dorn has one of the most glittering junior records of the last 20 years. But we knew he was good. But we get, we knew George Russell was good. We've known for years. We knew Pascal Verlein was good. Yeah, Pascal Verlein, who was lighting the timesheets on fire in his Porsche FE car. More on that later. What what does that matter, though? They don't race at Valencia. (laughs) Well, all the cars were at the same track. But what what Cam's trying to say here is that it it doesn't matter what you do in your junior career or what equipment you get into when you're in F1. The stopwatch never lies. People only care about where you cross the finish line at the end of the race. And if you don't do well... People didn't care that Stoffel Van Dorn had a broken chassis in 2018 and McLaren were publicly apologizing for not giving him the tools he needed. No one cared. 
And ironically, the one person that pointed that out was the man he was competing against, Fernando friggin' Alonso, who yeah, was... Fernando I mean, Alonso, who has one of the biggest egos in all of motors- motorsport, is saying, look, stop, I'm not beating Stoffel as much as you think I am. Right. right. It's, 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 it's like playing a game of poker where Stoffel Van Dorn has a straight flush while, while not knowing that Fernando Alonso carries four races. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's not it's, a coincidence it's, that st- everything Stoffel Van Dorn stepped into... He was a rocket in, and he goes to McLaren right as the bottom completely fell out as far as 2017 was concerned. Right. Mm. And yeah, let, let's not forget here that uh, like I said, he was sacrificed for the fun-loving hipster McLaren team we all know and love gets blown up on Twitter today. Stoffel Van Dorn was sacrificed for Lando Norris. He was yeah. sacrificed for our well, Zach Brown. <laughs> well, Zach Brown was saying, look, he requires a specific balance from a car. And we couldn't provide it. Yeah. And we're sorry for that. Yeah. That's but so people men. don't care. And now we're <laughs> going through that again with the guy who skipped out on Formula E to come to F1, Alex Albon. Yeah, mm-hmm. who's now in that exact same pickle himself and his seat is far from secure in this sport going forward because now it's looking like if he doesn't get the Red Bull seat, he might not be in the sport at all next year. So it's it's up for grabs on that one. But yes, like well, I, 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 I've got gut I, feeling Albon's seat might be safe because uh, I agree. You got to remember that Red Bull's ownership is uh, not majority Austrian. No. <laughs> No, it's it not. Is, it is a majority <clears throat> tie-owned, and... <laughs> yes. Where's his license from again? It's from London, right? <laughs> it's, it's from wherever. It, it depends on how well he performs from weekend to weekend. Yeah, Of yeah. course, yes. It's, it's, it's Andy Murray-itis. <laughs> That's but, not uh, that. I, I like how... I like how Stoffel put it on, uh, I think it was on uh, Instagram. Instagram. After. All these Everybody's going around. all these places, and I'm just going back to the war zone. Yeah. <laughs> going back to Call of Duty. As, as the Stoffel joked, uh, as, as you joked on our Twitter account, uh, shall we say, it was uh, uh, the literal and metaphorical version of the Gulag. Uh, bad luck, Stoffel, um, oh, to say I the least. Um, I would have loved to see um, him get another shot. He should have never been in his place. He should have never been put in the position he was in. But to put a bow on it, uh, once George Russell was made available, they had to take that risk. But what I want to talk about is this, too. What do y'all make of the other replacements? Because replacing Romain Grosjean is Pietro Fittipaldi, who has had a very long and convoluted and interesting climb to get to where he is. And Jack Aitken moves up to replace Russell Williams. I say Pietro Fittipaldi, who was uh he was doing very well in junior categories mm-hmm. got an LMP1 drive i believe with what was it the dragon speed team in 2018 yes, mm-hmm. yep yep and had a hellacious accident at the bottom of Eau Rouge went Oof. straight on when the power steering failed and shattered both of his legs he lost but not only that he drove four or five well, months of his a- career yeah, he drove half an IndyCar season on a broken leg. He drove one race in Super Formula where one of their team's chief engineers passed away on the week of the race. He drove mm-hmm. he won the Formula Renault 3.5 series, but didn't get any super license points because nobody hardly showed up. He had to get over the line with his super license points in the Formula 3 Asian Championship. Oh, by the way, his Kids. career didn't even start in single seaters. It started in the NASCAR Touring Series. <laughs> the, yeah. the, the kids had it rough. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. I love oh. it. 
I love that dudes can come, can still somehow come from these unconventional backgrounds to succeed. I hope Pietro Fittipaldi does a decent enough job given the circumstances. Uh, just just and, get the car home because we've seen yeah. how miserable the Haas is this year. Yeah. And if I That's recall correctly, if I recall correctly, Pietro Fittipaldi will be the first ever track champion of Hickory Motor Speedway to get to Formula One. Oh, hell <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> You love, you um, absolutely love to see it. Um, yeah. Of course, with George Russell moving up to Williams, Williams has to find their own replacement driver. And, and they have one. Of all the of the three teams we mentioned so far, they're the only team <coughs> that actually used their contracted reserve driver. I Louis like Denatras was not like Louis Denatras was not salty about oh. this on Twitter at all. <laughs> not in the least. Yeah. Nope, not at all. Shades Sassy of Davide Valsecchi. Yes, for those oh, yeah, the, for the those who don't know, Haas actually had a contract reserve driver, Louis Delatraz, who, you know, we haven't mentioned so far because Haas isn't using him to replace Grosjean. They didn't even say a word about him. Nope. Nope. <laughs> A man who was on the podium in the Formula mm-hmm. 2 sprint race that same weekend. Um, doing the Charles Leclerc one-stopper uh, strategy. He won <laughs> the virtual 24 hours of Le Mans, my friends. You're Louis right. Delatraz E-sports. is pretty decent. Yeah. Delatraz is, 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 is a decent e-sports. driver. But uh, yeah, like Delatraz missed out. Go follow him on Twitter because he was uh, <laughs> sassy as all hell about missing out on that opportunity. He made it quite clear how he felt about the matter. Um, quote, and I think the line he should have used was, great to see a team actually use its reserve driver. And that was a regards to Williams, who would put their official reserve driver in the car. And that was one Jack Aitken, who will be racing in his Formula One debut for Williams this weekend. I like um, it. I like the move. Jack Aitken last year was probably pound for pound one of the best drivers they had. Up there with mm. Nick DeVries, up there with Antoine Hubert when he was still with us. Because Jack mm. Aitken was driving for a team that traditionally does not run up to the front of most races. And he was contending for feature race victories all throughout the season in 2019. I know he's had a step back As long back as he wasn't, uh, wasn't stuck behind a heavily blocking Mahavir Ragunathan. Yeah, there's mm. that, but that that ain't on Shaq. No. <laughs> Again, the victory is just going to be bring the car home and run peace, and and don't let Nicholas Latifi embarrass you too much, my dude. Also, that yeah. helmet is just mm, good oh, helmet yeah. design. Scottish Scottish tartan A plus uh, helmet choice there from a. Uh, from uh, one Jack Aiken. Um, also, Scotland's I favorite to, I, Korean. I, I have to mention this. George Russell debuted his helmet as well to, earlier today on Twitter. Shout out to WTF1's Tom Bellingham, who did a stream designing what he thought his helmet might look like. Follow and it on Twitter. It. Like, Bellingham was actually on the nose. I, I, I can't <laughs> believe he was pretty much spot on. Um, 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 that is, if, if you look at... Jack Aiken's Formula 2 car. There's a, there's certain logos on it. I'm not saying that yeah. he might have had some mm-hmm. inside information, but the, the possibility <laughs> is strong. Yeah. What's, what's good, Katie? We love your work. We appreciate what you're doing. Keep do, keep it up. Yo, um, I also I also thought we were going to be talking about George Russell's feet today. Uh, excuse me? Uh, yeah, the only thing to count is that way. Penalty, <laughs> necessary horniness, 15 yep, yards. Yep, we're done it. Look, he had, look he, had to, he had to wear a size 10 boot. 
Well, well, King King is going out into the fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you just drove King away. What's wrong with you? You <laughs> drove King into the sunset. Good job. All I all I wanted to do was talk about how oh, it was a King, tough task. King is out of the, the sunset. <laughs> he had to re- he had to wear a smaller shoe to fit in the car. It's a perfectly valid yeah, argument. Yeah, the, the front the front of the Mercedes package is packaged in such a way that. George Russell needs to wear small boots. Moving on. The Haas lineup for next year was announced. Yeah. Over the course of two days, we heard. Because I'm not spending any more time on that subject. (laughs) Over the course of two days, we heard what Haas's lineup was going to be. And it was the heavily rumored lineup of Nikita Mazepin and Mick Schumacher. Wow. What a surprise. Schumacher (laughs) is back in Formula One. (laughs) Now yeah, that it's but it's probably the worst team on the grid. Yeah. <gasps> oh. <laughs> like, honestly. Hey, no, it's not too different from, oh, wait. Wait, Jordan were actually a lot better than the worst teams in 91. Yeah, because the, the oh. thing is, like, Mazepin and Schumacher is a fairly strong lineup. and Yeah, it was solid. The fact that they're in the second worst <laughs> team. I, I, yeah, I'm, I wouldn't it. argue second worst anymore because... We didn't mention this during our recap of the Grand Prix. All three Ferrari teams lost something to the tune of 1.3 seconds per lap compared to last year. Yeah, that's true. And Dude. couple that with the Haas being kind of shit. Haas stink. They stink. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of when Leclerc broke in with Alfa Romeo back when Alfa Romeo slash Sauber were not that good. Mm-hmm. And it, that ultimately has to be Mick Schumacher's cop. cop. It doesn't... You cannot compare him to his father. You have to no, use Charles Leclerc as his <coughs> re- most realistic benchmark. I, I think the benchmark has to be... Where do these George two, Russell. Wh- wh- I, I wouldn't even say George Russell because I legitimately think the Williams is better than the Haas now. Yeah. I think, the, I think so, it has to be the benchmark of Grosjean... And Magnuson, two drivers who, let's not forget, are podium holders in F1. Yeah, right. And clearly a lot more talented than, than this car can show. How do right. they perform next year compared to where Haas is this year? I don't, I don't even think yeah. where we're going to be talking about next year because uh, they both have multi-year deals. Like, Haas are clearly yeah. thinking long-term. I think next yeah. year it's going to be... If- I don't know if Haas is going to live long term at this rate. <laughs> well, I would hope so. The team's going to be around. Don't know who's going to own the team, but the team will certainly mm. be there. Yeah, yeah look, because oh, G- Gene's just going to hand it off to Tony. Be like, here, you you hold the reins for a while. <laughs> Go on, Jack. No, I, I think if it, if there was going to be a transfer of ownership, let's just say uh, Nikita Mazepin, who who can be a pr- bit of a prickly character, shall we say? Uh, Minus the yeah, uh, quick, it's a bit of an, a bit of an still kind of he's still quick, much quicker than we give him credit for most of the times. And yes, he does come in with financial considerations. Yeah, let's that will l- let's consider right now. Lot. Both of these drivers, off track, uh, off track antics aside, name aside, they're both pretty good drivers. Yeah, they're yeah. both good. Yeah, drivers. Mick is uh, Mick is going ham in the F two championship. Nikita is an F2 race winner and a proven quantity. Right. Yes. That's the exact point that I was going to make. Look, this is, in theory, exactly what we want this system to provide. Your champion is going to move up. 
and the man that's currently third in the championship <laughs> is also likely to move up. And I know, like I said, Mazepin is very quick, especially when it comes to DMs. Um, but he's oh. also a very, t- he's, he's a very, very talented, like, he's a good driver, and he's had many of, the- again, Bahrain this weekend, he was very solid. Like, he's a very good driver. Like, like you can't, when the only two people in the championship who are better than you are Mick Schumacher and the guy everyone is begging to get an F1 seat, but won't, because we'll mention this quickly off the record, Callum Eilert's already said, he will not be in Formula 1 next year, and he probably won't be in Formula 2 next year either because he can't afford to stick around for another year because funding is hard. Um, so Callum is considering a sabbatical. So well, When look, you're worse Callum, than those two, you're pretty good. Yeah. yeah. yeah and, and, look, and Callum is super popular. I'd, I'd wait and see about that because, again, with all these FDA guys moving up and he's in the FDA, maybe the FDA have a couple more dollars to spend on the dudes who did not get the chance to move to Formula 1. So I'd say wait and see about that. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I hope he sticks around because Callum is absolutely good enough for Formula One. He absolutely should be in the, in in Formula One, as far as I'm concerned. He's proven that this year of tremendous improvement. Um, but, and but, look, let's be honest. <laughs> but yeah, on, on to finish on Mazepin, like a guy that's that fast and has a bank account. Who? What F1 team wouldn't want to sign him? He's the literally the best of both worlds. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, there's no argument with that. So he's just not popular and, and follows people on Twitter and likes their tweets about him indirectly like Callum does, the, the people's champ. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's he's, he was never going to win that fight on the internet, but there was more than enough validity to give Mazepin an F1 seat as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah, all complaints. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a solid lineup. Yeah, it's just a at shame the that the, the car's going to be the problem. It's not going to be down to the drivers whether they're bad next year. Do not crush Mick Schumacher with the weight of unrealistic expectations. We know who his father is. And we know Mick. We know he typically is a second-year driver. He takes his time to learn and goes about things very methodically. Mm -hmm. He's the clutch whisperer. (laughs) The clutch whisperer. The clutch whisperer. (laughs) Very good. Dynamite off the line. Indeed. Um, and yeah, More on like that said, later. Mick will be absolutely fine. And uh, if you haven't seen it already, check up the dusty pictures of, of, of Mick carrying him as, as Michael carrying him as a baby at a karting track. And I just, oh, my heart just man. melted. Uh, <sighs> wholesome content 101. Uh, now, with a new Haas lineup, that means that Kevin Magnuson is out of a seat. Until he mm. wasn't. <laughs> He's joining Renger van der Zande as co-driver of the Chip Ganassi Racing Cadillac, Cadillac DPI VR for IMSA next year. Chip likes That's a pull. winner. Yeah, he's also said that, like, hey, no IndyCar opportunities just yet. I do feel conflicted, though, because with Grosjean and Magnussen, I see two drivers that had so much unfulfilled potential in F1. Mm. It's just like, I'm glad that Kevin is going back to a place where he can win, but it's just like... You're so close to that enough one too. Yeah, I mean, back to that. Really, three drivers with a whole lot of either non-stories or stories this weekend: Stoff and Perez and Magnussen, yeah. all victims of Tim Goss's inability to develop a car with McLaren. Mm. Yeah, and that's sort of the story of you know 
Formula One and Grand Prix racing as a whole, where it, it is a lot about right place, right time, and you could be... Just ask our world champion Lewis Hamilton <laughs> about right place, right time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, where, <laughs> to be truly, truly successful in F1, you have to be at the right place at the right time. But the great drivers can give themselves opportunities over the course of many seasons to have that chance to be in the right place at the right time. And the fact that we've gotten to see these guys at, you know, in the world championship for, for that long, it's again, a lot of what ifs, but we, we got to see a lot of great moments from these guys. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. It's a, Kevin Magnuson's greatest crime as a driver, unfortunately, was not quite being as good as Jensen Button, 2001 World Drivers Champion. Brutal. In a pretty crap McLaren. You can make yeah. a whole argument that that Mc- generation of McLaren young drivers, save for Lando Norris, had so much wasted potential because that's Magnussen, Van Dorn, Oliver Turvey, and Nick DeVries. Yeah, yeah, a, sh- yeah. a shitload of talent and next to nothing to show for it. That is just... Someone will write a book about that one day. But uh, no, to sum it up, you're absolutely right. You've got some great... Yo, what about that Checo presser? Yeah, I'll get to that in just a, a sec. But uh, nothing. I'll, yeah, I, I, I'll get to that in just a sec. I just wanted to point out as well as King's absolutely right to say right place, right time is so important. I think again, friend of the show, Jess McFadden said to me, said I said it publicly once: the good drivers get the top seats, the great ones keep them. And uh, yeah, that's uh, it's it's a shame that uh, Kevin's been a a casualty of that, so to speak. But you know, we all know he's a good driver; he'll kill it yeah. in him. So yeah, Checo's press conference. <laughs> Now, this was announced on Friday that Checo was going to do a press conference with the media on Monday. Now, everybody immediately started speculating on what's he going to say, what's he going to do on Monday nights. Everybody tuned in. To their horror, they found out it was going to be speaking Spanish, which didn't exactly help either. Um, no. So, sh- shout out to Grace Walker on Twitter for translating for us. Um, much appreciated. But uh, it was it was the Seinfeld of press conferences. It was a lot about nothing. Um, My God, he's joining uh, All Elite Wrestling. He signed a multi-year deal. Uh, Tony Khan, you're a genius. Literally nothing we didn't already know. He's either going right. to take a sabbatical from racing in general, or he's going to get the Red Bull seat. Yeah, pretty much. It it felt like, hey, maybe Red Bull are make a deci- is going to make a decision by this point, and it's either I'm going to announce announce that, hey, I'm waiting on a decision still, or I'm definitely going to take a sabbatical. Uh, the the Akin and sabbatical. <laughs> <laughs> or and he's going to take a transfer to Manchester City. Who knows? Red Mika Bakkenen. And Red Bull clearly have not made a decision yet, so he's in yeah. wait and see mode well, and, and ended up in a very awkward press conference. Sergio yeah, Perez, Bull, Denver uh, Broncos quarterback. Red Bull explicitly said that uh, they're not going to make their decision on their second seat until really deep into the postseason. Yeah, yeah off, off, off the Christmas. Yeah, after Abu Dhabi, so probably nearer Christmas, more likely. So yeah, mm. Checo is now in limbo. I, I, can I have a small humble brag when I basically tweetedly as a joke said that Sergio was going to roll up on Monday night and say, Here, here's a watch party for all eight, also all nine of my F1 podiums. Any questions? <laughs> and then Luke Smith from Also Sport underneath tweeted me saying, Dre, that's pretty much what's going to happen. And I was like, this is my finest hour as a journalist. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Dre, Dre Stradamus here. Dre Stradamus <laughs> strikes again. 
<laughs> I have my like I don't have them very often, but when I have the moments, they are spectacular. Um, Sergio Perez <laughs> is declaring for the NBA draft, and oh my god, he's got to join Russell Westbrook at the Wizards. Let's go, <laughs> Westbrook, Rui Hachimura, Sergio Perez, high real. Yeah, it feels oh, like those two teams made that trade, had a handshake, and said, "Good luck." Yeah, yeah you too. <laughs> oh, Let's trade yes. some bad contracts. Um, <laughs> Thank you for tuning into our basketball podcast. We are going <laughs> for you, Bill Simmons. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I did see that Ben for Ben Corcoran on Twitter tweeted his Spotify wrapped playlist saying that we were the second most listened to podcast behind Bill Simmons' show. Oh, people see, unlike big... Bill Simmons, we actually give regular airtime to people of color on our podcast media. Yeah, and, you know, we we... We too have fans from Boston, so <laughs> yes, we do. To what which the I'm... fuck, guys? <laughs> I'm no, part of the which... show. You're right. I was like, King. First of all, King. That's low. <laughs> you you know what all... that's a reference to? <laughs> I do. Oh, God, I it's do. almost as it's almost as low as the amount of Jets wins this year. The... Oh, fuck. <laughs> that's low. Before, Look, first of all, before... I say. I'm we, I'm honored that we were in a couple of people's top five lists. That's bloody awesome. Second of all, f that that Boston boomer union busting racist. Anyway, um, the <laughs> shit. Oh my god! <clears throat> I mean, you're not wrong. Uh, and watch you us were right to say it. Watch us get kicked yeah, off of Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't own me. Now, before, now let's pull this back together because uh, German automakers be leaving Formula E. Audi announced yeah, they're leaving his factory. BMW announced it the same day. Audi says they're returning to sports cars under Le Mans Daytona hose mad regulations and they're going to run Dakar in two years. <laughs> no, yeah, no, uh, no, RJ got it wrong. It's clearly Le Mans Daytona. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we, Look, we are. Um, yeah, Formula E. <coughs> Formula E certainly is a topic. We had testing. Yes. Some yeah. teams are fast. This track isn't representative. We'll see what happens. No. Yes. But yeah, exactly. um, Audi coming back home, in a sense. Uh, I believe Daddy's they're home. projected to enter Le Mans in 2023. Mm. Porsche have come out and said that this does not affect their plans. Of course, they being under the same automotive group, and a bunch Porsche of paper from a French paper, and a bunch of people from a French pepper mill company started sweating profusely. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, you know they they heard uh, they heard the Toyota was in there. Like, yeah, they only got three wins. They need about ten more to catch Audi. They heard Peugeot was entering, and Volkswagen Group went out to polish their favorite belt. They were like, Daddy's home. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Oh, man. We could have a, pers- a perspective, geez, six, seven automakers in LMDH. Part, part of me just imagining Sebastian Bourdais peeking into the sim room at Peugeot and saying, Hey, guys, are we winning yet? And then someone turns. <laughs> <laughs> someone turns and looks. <laughs> Out here. Yeah, and so, someone just looks. Ba- someone looks back at him with a thousand yard stare. Hey, are we worried okay. about Formula E right now? Because I know a lot of some people may have taken this time to just be like, "Oh yeah, EV libs owned by okay. Fax and petrol okay. Okay. logic." We also need to mention BMW left as well. Yeah, I've but got BMW- thoughts on this. 
BMW leaves all the time. Yes, yes. They, they find yeah. something, then they get bored with it, and then they leave. Yes, Cam, no, what, they, they what are your something. thoughts on this very Dutch, de- what do you, this very Deutsch departure? Very <laughs> <laughs> Deutsch <laughs> If this laptop didn't cost me so much, I'd punch the screen to be right where King is on the Oh, side. just that, that, King, that was bad even by your standards. Oh. That that was that was oh, that's brutal. BMW, <laughs> I swear to God, they don't know what they want to do for a motorsport program. They're they really don't young. want to go into anything expensive, but when they go into things that are cheap, they're mad that it doesn't give them enough development potential, and then they yeah. leave when they don't win. Yeah, that's why Audi said they left. They weren't seeing, they had met the maximum <coughs> development potential that Formula E could give their road cars. BMW and to an extent, I agree on that. Yeah. But I have other thoughts on Volkswagen's participation in FE. It's not going to be Volkswagen Formula E team from the end of Season 7, <laughs> it seems. No. No, because we have other Volkswagen-related news, which I'll get into right after I make yeah. my point here. Hmm. Why does it feel like at the end of the day, this felt like a whole lot of greenwashing by the Volkswagen Auto Group after Dieselgate. And now okay. that they have a viable alternative that isn't going to cost them a quarter of a billion dollars every year to be in. Hydrogen. With LMDH, that they're bailing pretty much immediately. And hydrogen it, in it, the long run. It feels like cash a lot of people... It feels like a lot of people believe that Formula E would always be like the earlier seasons, where it was almost to a lot of people looking from the outside completely random, where there was so much parody that anyone could be successful. But now we're falling into this uh, sort of competitive order where there are now clear top teams and bottom teams, and Audi quickly realized that, hey... We're probably not going to be one of the DS to cheetahs. No, and uh, I mean, as as you and I talked about after the uh, after the initial testing, it appears that DS to cheetah and Porsche have goddamn missiles. Yeah. And honestly, back to my point about Volkswagen Auto Group and greenwashing after Dieselgate. Porsche could win the title and say, fuck them kids after the next year. Yeah. It just, it, it has that, the, the programs from Volkswagen group just feel like that right now. Couple mm-hmm. that to Volkswagen scuttling all motorsport activity after committing a year ago to being purely EV motorsport. Yeah. And Bentley bailing on their factory GT3 program. And it just feels like as soon as they had a viable opportunity to get back into endurance racing without breaking the bank, and without using a powertrain technology that was a really bad look in 2016, mm-hmm. that they're just going back to what they know best, which is whooping that ass at Lamar. Yeah, and I, I think while everyone's been focused internally for like looking internally for reasons of why each company left, it's kind of easy to forget the outside world and how pretty much like it makes sense for all these major manufacturers to be cutting expenditures because sales are just down across the entire industry. There's kind of this thing going on in the world right now. Yeah. You may not have heard, but people aren't driving cars as much to work. No. Probably because they don't go to places to work. You remember places, but yeah. I I, I, honestly, I don't remember places. It's been so long, but yeah, I, I hate to say it, but I'm not that surprised that Audi left when a cheap, alternative 
to LMP1 appeared. Yeah. And also that they're trying to get the quote-unquote first ever electric win at the Dakar, which... It's, Woo? Yeah, like, it seems like to them they feel like, this could probably be an easy W, right? There's not that much manufacturer effort in the Dakar. We could do this. We're Audi, right? We're supposed to be good at well, this. Well, ironically, they they waited because uh, Peugeot just left. Yeah. Toyota and many have scaled back their involvement. Audi's getting into this just like they did with LMP900 in 2000. They, they see that Jeez. open goal, and they're going for it. Yeah, and I don't think LMDH will be an open goal, but we always knew they'd be back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ditto with Porsche, In- who, by all accounts, they said, this doesn't affect us. We're still working on our LMDH program. Yeah. Comp- and just as well, Bentley scuttling their factory GT3 program. Now there's the rumor that Bentley might enter FE. It wouldn't surprise me if Bentley takes up the Audi team, because Audi just created a brand new powertrain for this year. Oh, yeah. And they're going to sell it. Yeah, they... they they're going to continue selling it, as will BMW. Yeah, they, they're going to... They imply that they're going to keep supplying their customers, most, you know, importantly, Virgin. In, in Vision Version Racing. So, like, they're st- they're going to still be involved, just not as a factory outfit anymore. Right, right. And that, I mean, um, if your badge is still on the car, you still get marketing and you're spending less yeah, money. technically it Remember, still counts as an it, Audi win. <laughs> Envision Virgin, my favorite Harley Davidson factory racing team. Oh, oh, oh you stop! stop it. <laughs> Bastard! If the badge is on the roll hoop, let me have this. If no. your battery stops leaking acid, start worrying. It's out of battery acid. Let's talk about some Formula Two. Now, before we get into Formula Two, I think it's better we put it in now. RJ, tell us what happened in Super GT season finale. Oh my oh god! My god. We, we had a Glock Jinx. moment. We had. A- we had a literal Glock moment. We had a Camish no, moment. No, we didn't we had have a Glock moment. moment. We had a Kaz. We had a Kaz Nakajima moment. We had. Uh, so it's the final lap of the race. Ryo Hirakawa and Kenta Yamashita for TGR Team Keeper Toms have thoroughly dominated this race, and with a win, they clinched the championship. Yamashita has been. Nails in his opening stint. Hirakawa is doing everything that he needs to, to win the title. And all of a sudden, a 15-second lead that he has over the Ray Brigetta sets of Naoki Yamamoto comes down to like a few seconds. And all of a sudden, we're like worried. Like, oh my goodness, is Yamamoto, former AlphaTauri test driver Yamamoto, I should point out, is he going to catch him? And it looks like at the final lap, the hero's got enough until they come out of the final quarter, Panasonic, the right-hand corner, onto the long front stretch, and with 500 meters to go, Hirakawa's car slows, Yamamoto passes him in the inside, Yamamoto and Tadasuke Makino, F2 feature race winner, win the championship in the race on the last 500 meters of the last lap. Are you kidding me? Go watch this. Toyota... Toyota, Toyota, stop putting odd numbers, specifically seven, on the sides of your sports cars. They are cursed as fuck. It's never going to win. Just stop. I am so happy. Last run for Raybrig as title sponsor for (laughs) Team Kunimitsu. This was the end of an era. The Raybrig NSX has been a staple of Japanese motorsports since 1996. Yeah. And this was the last. 
all of us grew up on that car in its various iterations. Oh man, that was that was wild to watch unfold. And let's not forget, we had a whole other class of competition. J.P. Oliveira finally wins his first title in 15 years in the series. Kyoto Fujinami is the la- is the last Nissan driver development program prospect, and he wins the title for Nissan and Condo Racing, which I know that team desperately needed after off-the-field yep. dramas mm-hmm. two weeks before the race. That's it was all a good we need finish. to expand on that one. Uh, and yeah. you know, keep in mind as well, Nissan doesn't have much motorsport left. This yeah. was this is one of the few places where they remain. And to get a dub, to get a championship, means a lot. Yep. First-year championship. First-year championship for the front-engined NSX. It's a, the it's last a thing. race have, for the Raybrick NSX. We have, Two in three years for the Raybrick NSX. And they don't even need Jensen Button to get it. Although we do love yeah. ourselves some Jensen Button. We, we all do. love some Benson Jutton. Oh, yes, we do. do. Yes. That's, that's, uh, why, that's why I'm wearing the jacket, folks. Indeed. Yep. And, and, uh, he's disgustingly on brand. Toyota, leave sports cars. You're a fucking disgrace. Don't don't you do that. That that's gonna take. That, don't you put that evil on my series camera, Buckley. No, go Look, back to Lexus. You were better. No, no. Personally, as a as the casual Super GT fan in the background, I'm just glad that on the long history of this podcast, I get to say we had another Jacobellis moment. And any and long long standing listeners of the there, show will know exactly what I'm talking about. We've here. got like we've got like four examples now of a toy. Toyota sports car just Ugh. shitting itself on oh. the line with we, all mm-hmm. the marbles. Wait a minute. Are we counting the Toyota Corolla in 1998 as a sports yes. car? Yes. Yes, we are. Yes, Carlos Sainz <laughs> Sr. K- broke his foot kicking a door. <laughs> That's not a sports car. That's a I don't, hot hatch. I, I don't know oh. if he broke his foot, but it, it looked like it with how hard you he might as well have. You might as well have done. Should we get into Formula 2, fellas? Oh, the yes. real show. The main oh, event boy, of the show. evening. The, uh, yeah, Formula 2. I missed it all because it's all on too damn early for us Americans. So y'all take <laughs> yeah, it. This, yes. this, this race fucked my sleep schedule. Yes, but it was worth it, full it, it disclosure. Was, it, was, it was carnage. Formula <laughs> 2, feature race first and foremost. Big title implications early doors on Saturday as Canamilo took his fifth pole position of the season. And let's not forget, Formula 2, pole position carries four points. So the gap immediately went down from 22 to 18 in the fight for the championship between Mitchie Macker and Canamilo. 16, sorry, 16. my bad. Thank you. Um, thank, thank you, guys. Um, yeah, it took four points out of, out of Mick's title gap immediately. They got to turn one, and Felipe Drogovic basically said, nope, um, and took the lead pretty much straight away. Those two were locked line astern. Canamilo slipped a little bit in the early running. Um, it, we, we got to the round of pit stops. Um, they, Mick was trying an alternate strategy um, with, again, we, it was a bit confusing to watch because, like, the soft, like, the medium and the hard tyres were virtually identical to the naked eye. One of them was white, and the other one was basically silver. Light grey. Uh, Light grey. <sighs> why? Why would, why would you do this to us? Yeah, so we we were sitting down thinking, oh shit, Drugwitch has got to stop twice, until we're realising on the final lap, oh wait, he was actually on two different compounds the whole time, we just didn't realise. <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> on an understandable error from one Alex Jakes because the tyre compounds were 
basically the same looking for the naked eye. It was really confusing. But uh, Drogovic retook the lead after the uh, first round of pit stops. Didn't look back and eventually won by 15 seconds in a beat down of the Formula 2 field in the feature race. Uh, Drogovic Super taking his mega first... ultra. <laughs> yes, uh, a, a, a spanking from Felipe Drogovic to win his first Formula 2 feature race ahead of Callum Eilert, who was second. Um, Mick Schumacher's race was one where he basically had to come back from a poor qualifying. He started 10th. He was basically 5th by turn 3. Death, um, taxes, Mick plus 5 before turn 1. <laughs> the Clutch Whisperer. That's the Clutch Whisperer. That was the Brake Whisperer into turn 1. Oh yeah, brave shit from Mick and very aggressive. Was almost third by the end of the first lap. Couldn't quite get it together in the end. Um, he Let's tried say, a little bit of a saw a little bit of dad in that opening lap. He had his elbows out. Oh yeah, big time. And uh, tried a more aggressive strategy, running the soft tire at the end of the race, trying to claw up through the field and nearly get in a podium, but ran out of tires trying to pass Jehan Deruvula, and Deruvula was able to hold on to take his he first said, Formula you Two. You shall podium. not pass. That was some heavy defending. Oof, big, big, about as close to the line of legal defending as you can get from your hand Ruvula, but he did it very, very well, did his job, took his first Formula 2 podium, so well driven for, for your hand there, for the Red Bull Academy. Um, so yeah, uh, Drogovic, Eilot, um, and uh, Daruvala third, Mick Schumacher fourth, and Yuki Sonoda, who has to get, has to get an honourable mention, given he went from 22nd to 6th um, in the feature race. Um, there, Man's just, went he on was, a tear. He, he went on a rampage. He was only uh, two car lengths behind Nikita Mazepin for fifth, going over the line in a photo finish. Um, yeah, Sonoda drove angry in that feature race. But that also set up in eighth place Robert Schwartzman, who then got pole position for the sprint race on Sunday morning. And um, let me get this straight. This is a uh, high tire wear abrasion circuit. Our biggest criticism of Robert Schwartzman has been his poor tire wear. So, of course, he spanks the field by six seconds. Oh, there's a big asterisk to tire management. (laughs) Well... He got a little bit of help because uh, arguably the biggest title flashpoint of the year took place in the middle portion of that race. As going towards turn oh. 10, there, there is a... Uh, like Eilot and Schumacher are right next to each other on no, track. We, we had what, we, what I like to call synchronized locking. Yes. Where Schumacher everyone has going a... into the corner locked their... Uh, yes. Left front tire up. Yeah. Schumacher locks up going into turn 10. He's able to catch it. Kanemaier lock in reaction to Schumacher's lockup locks up himself, trying to take an opportunistic move and a dive bomb at turn ten. He loses control of his car, skids past Schumacher and goes straight into the side pod of Jehan Deruvela, taking him out of the race. Um, Callum sunk to the back and then was given a drive-through penalty for his excursions, um, effectively meaning that, meaning that he scored no points in the sprint race. Um, drama to say the least, but. Being honest, relatively unpunished mistake in the end because uh, Mick struggled a little bit out there in that in that sprint race. Couldn't yeah, that get his lockup tires going. demolished his front tires. Yeah, he he struggled all the way through. In uh, in his, his tires were gone by the end of the race. He that, got and, swept uh, up. <laughs> in that in that uh, incident with Ilot, I he and Ilot actually did make minor wheel to wheel contact, and apparently mm. Mick's steering was not straight after that. Ooh, had uh, nice. had Mick not steered out of the corner to avoid it, it could have been a lot worse. Yeah. 
Not nice, not nice. Um, luckily, uh, everybody everybody got through that okay. But yeah, Callum got a drive through penalty. He had to sink to the back of the field. He had no chance of scoring points. Um, Cherus in general had a bit of a mixed day because as a result of the carnage, Pedro Pique passed Mick Schumacher, and by the time we got towards the end of the race, he was running third for his first ever F2 podium until the racing gods were like, fuck them kids, and struck Aww. his and struck his engine down. A lap, You've uh, been macachromed. A, a, a lap and a half from the finish, uh, Pedro Pique's car dies on him, um, which opened the door um, for... It was Louis Delatraz who was running the Charles Leclerc one-stop strategy in a sprint race in Bahrain game and would finish third um, behind, uh, obviously, Robert Schwartzman, <clears throat> who had completely dominated the race at the front with a little bit of help, of course, from that safety car. The harder, uh, the harder of the compound of tires just didn't wear. No, so Schwartzman could wall. hot lap all race and had no real negative effect. That, that's what he's. That's what he's best at. Schwartzman has got ridiculous speed. He's now he's now the wins leader in the series. That was his fourth Grand Prix win of the year for Schwartzman, and uh, still has an outside chance at the title. I'll talk about the numbers in just a minute. But yes, uh, outside Schwartz- it's like <laughs> outside it's like four city blocks away. Yeah, but it is outside. Much. Mathematically, it's doable, and I, I literally only mathematically because any reasonable <laughs> chance went out of the fucking window. But uh, yes, Schwartzman <laughs> wins the sprint race ahead of Mazepin. Um, and in second and Delatraz third Mick would eventually drop to seventh he was passed by Christian Lungard on the final lap um, brackets as a Lungard fan screw Renault for giving one new show and Fernando Alonso a young driver test spot and not Christian Lungard your number one prospect <laughs> you idiots anyway um, Lungard was sixth Mick Schumacher was seventh so, so Mick only actually gained two points um, in that, in that, despite Callum's substantial mistake. So, if, in case you've got your calculators out, I'll spare you the trouble. With two races to go in the championship, and of course that pole position, which carries another four points, Mick Schumacher has a 14-point lead in the championship. He's on 205 to Callum Eilat's 191. And uh, for those guys keeping track of the super license situation at home, Nikita Mazepin now third on 162. He's 43 away. Robert Schwartzman, three points back on 159. Then Yuki Sonoda on 157, who barely, by the skin of his teeth, literally can still win the championship via count back because there's 48 points available during so, this final round. I, I do have to point out the maximum points given in a sprint race is 17. 15 for the win, plus two for fast mm-hmm. slap. Meaning yeah. to be mathematically in contention for the championship after the feature, you have to be within 17 points of Mick Schumacher. That means also means Schumacher, all he has to do is outscore Callum Eilat by three points in the feature, and the championship is locked up. Let's yeah. Go. He could conceivably it, it, do it. He could almost put energy. it out of reach in qualifying alone. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it would certainly help, but Mixer I don't think's had a pole position all year, so... Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, it, it would be a real clutch it's pole. Not, <laughs> it's not the winning, it would, it's not the taking part, it's making sure Callum Isla doesn't get pole. <laughs> Indeed. That, that would probably help, and the problem is Callum's had five of those this season. He's yeah. the fastest man in the field over a I, single I would lap, kind of without doubt. It. Mm-hmm. 
So I, I was, I'd say there's a much better chance of Callum taking another four into that gap before we even get racing on Saturday. So we'll have to wait and see. But uh, yeah, technically, we still have a five-way title fight decider, although really, it's only two. But uh, for those keeping out on the super license situations with Mazepin, who probably will get it, and Sonoda might get it, depending on how the scoreboard rolls out, we'll have to wait Jeez, and see. Uh, that- those contracts will look really awkward if... Uh- <laughs> If, if Mazepin somehow doesn't end up with a super life. Oh, boy. Couldn't like, announce that deal. Uh, Ke- Kevin, are you sure you want to go to Chip's team? <laughs> oh, he's definitely sure he wants he's, to go he's back to He's definitely sure. <laughs> Indeed. We'll have to wait and see on that one. That will be the Sakia Grand Prix, the final round of the Formula 2 Championship on Saturday and Sunday. Um... On, of course, the same weekend as the Sakia Grand Prix in Formula One. Uh, it's going to be a very different sort of Grand Prix with no Lewis Hamilton for the first time in a Grand Prix in what, 13 years? Like, right. it's, it's going to be uh, quite. Uh, Jesus Christ, what a, what a thought that is. But uh, hey, we'll see how George Russell fares. We'll see how Valtteri Bottas shares in a loveless, thankless situation, knowing that you're meant to beat George Russell, but if you don't, you look like a friggin' tool. Good luck with that one, Valtteri. Um, yeah, there, this really is lose-lose for him. Also, um, breaking news that dropped during the recording of this episode. Mark Marquez has undergone a third surgery on his right arm. The surgery took eight hours and was uneventful, Christ. but it does put his uh, it does put his fitness for the twenty twenty one season into question. <sighs> Although a lot of people have said a third surgery would give him the best chance of being fully fit to start twenty twenty one, so uh, it Apparently, might be. It was confirmed. Uh, HRC talked about it in their post that yeah, his humerus bone, the bone that he shattered in the opening round of the season was not healing uh, as quickly as was hoped. Yeah. Best of luck to Mark Marquez, of course. Yeah, um, he man, he fuck his arm up bad that day. Jesus Christ. Um, don't open any doors in a hurry, please, Mark. God. Please. Um, because, like, as much as we love MotoGP... Have Alex, it, have Alex walk the dogs. Please. Like, honestly, as much as I love MotoGP, with or without you, it's even more fun when you're here. So please, get more soon, Mark. Um, massive thanks to everyone that's still tuned in. There's still 23 of you guys watching along, and it's 11.15 UK time right now, so thank you. Uh, much appreciated. Everyone in Europe as well, because I know time zones are, are, are not fun. Much appreciated. Um, we are catching up with shows as fast as we can. I know it's a little bit frustrating that we're three or four down. We've got King in a Hamster Wheel. I, pro- I promise he's trying as hard as he can to get them out when they're available. Um, we will it, definitely it's all right. catch up. He's still up rendering them out on a Pentium 2. <laughs> oh yeah, it's... It, it happens, you know. Um, I promise you, there's a new computer being built by me. I'm going to have much more of a hands-on approach in 2021, certainly. Um, I, w- I would also like to make it a long-term aim to try and record on Mondays rather than Wednesdays, so it saves us a couple of days in the production cycle. It's all little things I'm trying to work but on. How to would be we have caught all of this news? I know! It's one of those things where, like, no matter where you drop the day, something funky will happen afterwards. Something big will come out tomorrow now, like, oh, like, you know. Imagine imagine if we had recorded on Monday and Tuesday morning. Oh, yeah, by the way, Lewis Hamilton, COVID-19. No, we just be, we'll just be like that dude. <laughs> we'll just be like that dude from Boston who records emergency podcasts. Yeah, it happens. Hey. 
sod that boomer. Anyway, like, yeah, thanks fuck, to everyone. Indeed, yeah, thanks to everyone that's listened in. Much, much appreciated. I hope you guys really enjoyed this extended edition, or should we say, back to normal edition of oh, Motorsport God. 101, because we've been, we've been going for an hour 40 at this point, but. It was a really great show. Thank you all so much for listening in. Much appreciated. Places you can find us one more time real quick. You're right here on YouTube. Subscribe if you haven't. Hit the bell to get notifications of when our new videos come out. There'll be all sorts of those coming up soon. Um, the Dirty Ian episode is coming up very soon. It's a, it's a special intro from one Ryan King. You'll love it, I promise. Yeah, if, 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 you, if you want to get a sneak peek of that, check out our Instagram. I didn't mention that at the top of the show. We're on Instagram as well, at Motorsport101Pod. We're one away from 100 followers on Instagram. Instagram. Could someone do us a favor and just, you know, drop us a follow? Would be no, nice. No, no, no. You say you we're two away from 101. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I just, right. I, as soon as I we got to be on brand. Pretty yes. soon we can add that swipe down feature to our stories with enough followers. You can help we're, us uh, get there. You know, I found out from Jess that you need 10,000 followers to get the swipe up feature. Yes. We got a ways to it. go I guess on that it's one. time for the Motorsport 101 only fans. Yeah, yeah, and people yeah. said I was crazy to talk about feeding this podcast. Shut up! <laughs> and with that, we bid you adieu. Thank you so much for listening. We love you all, wherever you're listening or watching. Yeah, places you can find us one more time: YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport One Hundred One, Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport One Hundred One. We're on Twitter at Motorsport underscore One Hundred One. Our handles are in the description down below. Also, I'm at Harrison One Hundred One HD, at RJ O'Connell, at Ryan Eric King, and at C Buckley Nine One Seven. Direct all complaints to at Bill Simmons. Um, you can also follow us <laughs> and back us financially on Patreon at Patreon.com uh, forward slash Motorsport One Hundred One. Five dollars gets you the early access at least 24 hours early of all the audio versions of the show. Um, the video versions is available at the $10 tier, as well as the supporters club of our Discord server, where you can listen to these shows live as they're being recorded. There's a bunch of you guys are as well in our Discord as we speak. Zoe, Vic, Josette as well, Toki, uh, Jason. Please, again, tweet Jason if you've got, if you've got any Motorsport 101 award show nominations at Jason underscore Poland underscore 87. Follow him on there. Again, deadline's the 15th. You've got 12 days from the time this recording goes up. Plenty of time. Get him in. Check his Twitter profile for the list of all the pages and all the uh, sending nominations by all means. Um, again, all our details as well on the website at motorsport101.com. I've been Dre Harrison, they've been RJ O'Connell, Ryan Eric King, and Cam Buckley. Thank you very much for watching or listening to us. We'll be back next week for the Bar Rhombus. Well, that can only be fun. I'll get the t-shirts made. Until then... Oh, yeah! Hmm. Later, y'all! We'll see you at the Bar Rhombus! Why? Prefer to call it the Bar Rapazoid. Oh, man. Who turned you We're going to call it the Baroctagon for five oh. heavyweight rounds. <laughs> if you can understand what possessed me to do this Mike Goldberg voice, you're a better man than me. <laughs>